Uh-huh. This thing's ridiculously slow. <laughs> but it records audio awesome, so. Right. Yeah, so, okay, so either we've been babbling for 30 seconds or it just started recording. So. <laughs> either <laughs> way. Because it all works. of a sudden skipped the 30 seconds. So, um, okay, so on the line with me, I have uh, Trey. Is it Arons? Is that how you say your last name? It's Arons. Most people say Arons, but it's Arons. Arons. Okay, all yep. right. I keep screwing up people's last names. I used to have a, I still have a friend named Darren Arons, but it's A-R-N-S. So I'll, I'll, I'll say it the same way because it sounds pretty close. So. Perfect. Um, so, you well okay where to start because um i you're you're a guy that i started kind of following on youtube uh about last year and uh of course just like the rest of us you know i i peruse youtube like crazy trying to comb everything for traditional content um and your there was a video that you did that that popped up it was like a little mini mini movie almost right it was it's, i mean it's like 30 something minutes long right it's it's uh yeah it's kind of it's kind of a short film yeah, yeah. so it was very cool and it was called and we and we just talked about it before record is it restrung or unstrung i can't remember restrung restrung yep and it is a and i do want to get into it i'm just doing like the little recap over here and that really kind of like man i'm like this is really really cool this kind of like encapsulates um kind of family and hunting and traditions and everything like that and um of course i subscribed and then i started seeing your name on different facebook forums and and facebook groups and this that and the other and it didn't dawn on me that it was the same guy you know what I mean? I'm like, man, he looks familiar. So then, of course, I started seeing all your other, you know, following all your other stuff. And then you got to scroll down a bit. And it's like, ah, yeah, I remember. I watched this. I watched this film and um, a while back. So and then uh, recently you had uh, a, a fantastic trip out to Nebraska um, and you were successful on a mule deer with some pretty cool footage. So I want to talk about all of that. OK, so that's kind of like the. Uh, the, the the overarching kind of umbrella I want, want, to, want to get into, but um, I guess kind of let's just take it back to the beginning. Um, for those that don't know who you are or haven't seen any of your stuff, can you kind of give us like a recap of just just your your history, your hunting history, and and um, in general and in archery? Yeah, so I grew up in a, a pretty small family, um, a family that was based kind of around my mom, my brother, and then my grandparents. Um, I was thrown into like the archery world right away because my grandfather was a huge traditional archer. So it was just one of those things that I was kind of just rolled into. I didn't really know what it was when I was young and I was doing it. Um, I just kind of always shot recurves and longbows all the way up until, I don't know, through my teens. Um, I was hunting with them. I always thought it was weird. I didn't know the difference between the bow that I was shooting and the compounds all my friends were shooting. Mm-hmm. So eventually I got to an age where I started figuring out like, Oh, those things are just a different type of bow. I obviously didn't know much about them. Um, yeah. And I just, I went through kind of the hunting stages, shooting stages uh, of that. I grew up with an uh, amazing mentor, my grandfather, who was an incredible shot. He was well known in the area that I live for being a, a shot. So I kind of grew up with an awesome, um, tutor or instructor when it comes to shooting the bow. Um, you're in was- Wisconsin, I'm sorry, you're in Wisconsin, right? Yes, sir. I'm in Northeast Wisconsin. Okay. All right. Yep. So, yeah. And that was just kind of, I mean, it's kind of a, a, a cliche story. It's just, I was, I, I grew up with the bow in my hand. I know like a lot of people that I've listened to do as well. And that was just kind of the, the beginning 
of everything was being able to, I don't know, I, I've had a bowl, one of those bowls in my hand pretty much my whole life. So um, your grandfather hunted. Did uh, anyone else in your family do that too? You said uh, you grew up with uh, your mom. Was your mom into any of that kind of stuff? or? No, she wasn't. She wasn't a big hunter. Um, she grew up in the hunting family, though. Those were her parents. So she was it was just very rounded around that. My grandpa, all his brothers and then my brother also took it up as well. Um, mm. My brother was more of the marksman when it comes to like guns and rifles. And then me and him both dabbled in like the shotgun sports. And then I kind of fell just into archery and he fell into more of rifle shooting. OK, OK. So how old were you when you first got your first bow? Oh, man. Um, I still have all of them. I was probably, I think I had my first bow in my hand when I was three or four. Oh, wow. I grew up on a, like a river where there was carp that would spawn. And I still have a picture of myself with a carp that I shot. I was probably around five, I would say five or six, but the first carp that I shot on the river with my grandpa and my brother. So yeah, it was just something I've, I've kind of always had. Oh, wow. So was it one of those like, uh, like little fiberglass kind of like deals or like a yeah you know, I think one, it's one of the bear right I think that's what it was it's like a bear with a white handle uh red limbs I don't even know what it's called I don't have <laughs> it, but yeah I think that was it and 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 the, and the past so you just I mean so that was just like your thing like I mean you didn't know any better at the time this this was life this was like what a kid did did you have um it's kind of young to kind of I guess have those kind of discussions or whatever but did you have like um like school friends or neighbors or whatever that were that were like your age that were into that too or were you kind of like the strange kid that liked to hang out in the woods all the time um yeah so I I, I gravitated towards friends that obviously hunted. Um, just different. We were all different. My grandpa was a big bow hunter. A lot of the my tradition around is probably the same in Minnesota and a lot of the Midwest is gun hunting. Mm -hmm. So we, we just did a lot of bow hunting. Um, obviously, we did the gun hunting along with it. So but there was a there was a couple kids that did the bow hunting as well. So I kind of gravitated towards them a little bit. But yeah, it, it was weird. It was just kind of like one of those things being a kid. Like I didn't walk around with like a football or a basketball, really. I walked around with my bow and like imagined myself shooting a deer when I'm really just shooting at a leaf or something like that in the yard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, that, that's awesome. Um, and so was this on uh, family property then you said it was it was uh, you, your grandfather uh, I'm guessing did you guys have property there it was on his land or did you do any any public or what was the uh, kind of scene back then so my grandpa just on the road from where we lived we lived really close to each other so in between our houses we lived five miles apart there was some land he's had permission for forever um, it was a big chunk of land kind of where he ended his hunting career when when my brother and I started hunting he stopped just to kind of mentor us so it was the property that we kind of started hunting when he kind of uh, quit hunting. Okay. And then um, do you still, do you, I mean, do you, do you still live in the area then? Or are you, did you kind of stay local after like in kind of your whole life or? Yeah, I, I bounced around a little bit. I went to some bigger cities. I went down to Madison, um, which was like two hours away, mm -hmm. lived there for a couple of years. And then I did come back when I was dealing, when my family was dealing with some health issues. Mm -hmm. So I did move back. I live about 30 miles away from the house that I grew up in right now. Okay. That's, yeah. Are you, um, I, I'm, how much time do you get to go i mean are you are you single are you married you know a dad or anything like that or are you kind of enjoying like like you know bachelor life and being able to <laughs> be able to hunt a lot 
No, no. I, I, I've been married for four years now. Um, I'm a father of my first uh, one-year-old. Oh, he's, like, he's, he's my little boy. So um, I used to have a lot more time. Uh, I obviously dedicate a lot of time to it. Um, I have a great support system. So I got, I got some awesome family that allows me to do a lot of what I want to do when it comes mm-hmm. to hunting and shooting. And they also will do it with me. So, um, yeah, I'm just kind of lucky when it comes to that. They're very supportive of what I do. So I probably get a little more of vacation time, you could say, than probably a lot of people. That's uh, that, that's really important. Um, what, what what do you do there? Did you, um, if I may ask, like as far as like, you know, your job or whatever, does it allow you to have a, enough time off or, um, or, or do you have to kind of scrounge for like, you know, PTO and days off and stuff? So I'm pretty fortunate. Um, last March, me and my wife ended up buying a local gym. So we own like an any fitness branch that's mm-hmm. in a local area. Um, so that we bought that last March, that would have been. So coming out of the pandemic, um, it has started to work in our favor where we do have a little bit of more leniency. Um, mm. the, previous, the previous job that I worked at, I was a CDL truck driver for four and a half years. And I had a bunch of vacation. And to be completely honest, I just saved it for hunting season. So right, right. I, would, I would work my butt off when everyone else was taking vacation in spring and summer. And then come October, November, I would burn up every single day of vacation I had. So it wasn't, I didn't make a lot of people happy doing that. But between me and my bosses, uh, we had a, a pretty good compromise. So I've always, I've always been able to have like a decent amount of time off in fall. Yeah, you know, th- there's that saying. There's different versions of the saying, but um, oh, wh- what is it? Uh, like, if you if you were to die today, your job listing would be listed before your obituary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, right. ca- kind of thing. So, it, I guess you got to keep that kind of in perspective. Like, y- you got to do stuff for you, you know, or or family or whatever it happens to be. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's, I mean- uh, it, 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 it's, it's that's the truth, though. You know, I mean, that, they're like, oh, it's just a spot we can fill versus like, hey, you know, you, you, you've got more important priorities in life. Yeah. And when, and when we took on the gym, um, I've been a huge fitness advocate my whole life. And so has my wife. Um, we took it on as more of a, a way to give back, if that makes sense. But then with the, with the ability to give back to people, it also allows us to give a little bit more to ourselves and our family. So, and that's, and that's not only financially, but that's time. And the biggest thing for me is obviously being able to spend as much time as I can with my family. Mm-hmm. And then all the excess time does go into either shooting or into hunting. Yeah. Um, so when you say you wanted to give back, are you talking about um, kind of teaching others like, like a healthy lifestyle or, or are you talking like giving back to family? Cause you're going to free up more free time. Um, both. So, so through the business, I'm allowed to give back to the community and give back to like a healthy lifestyle. Um, I grew up with a, with a a small family, like I was saying, and there has been a lot of health conditions within that small family. Mm -hmm. So at at a younger age, I was trying to get ahead of it myself and then seeing myself being able to, I'm not, not necessarily fight back on something yet, but prevent it potentially, Um, I was actually a personal trainer before that, trying to like personally help people. Mm. I got a lot of joy in being able to do that and being able to give back and change people's lives and helping them for the better. So then the investment into an actual health facility just allowed me to do that uh, more. That's pretty sweet. I'm glad you guys are uh, 
you know, you kind of you're kind of pursuing that that passion. That's that's important. So, um, okay, so let's kind of come back to uh, to, to to bows and stuff. So, uh, how how old were you? Well, let's say did did you did you kind of grow up shooting small game, or did you move right into deer hunting, or was everything kind of fair? I know you said carp. Um, yep. You said you got into like wing shooting kind of stuff to early shotgunning. You said so. What was the kind of like dabbling into quote unquote real hunting um, when you were coming up? Yeah, so I started off obviously hunting small game like a lot of guys did. Um, that was more with my bow. I did a lot of rabbit. Um, we did tons of bow fishing, so that was a, a really active thing. Uh, come fall, I was just I've, I'm still the same way. I'm just well, I'm willing to hunt anything and everything all the time. So I've yeah. shot a lot of waterfowl. Um, I have two German short hairs, so I've always been an upland bird guy too. Um, I just I've always enjoyed every aspect of hunting. Uh, bow hunting is just kind of taking a priority now, but when I was younger, I just hunted every single thing that I could and bow hunting never took a priority then. So I just kind of tried to keep them all even like once November, late October, November came and my grandpa said, it's time for you to get out in the woods bow hunting. I would start bow hunting. But prior to that, it was always just finding, finding the next thing I can hunt. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so uh all through high school i'm guessing um you know the, the passion's still there you're getting out you're you know you're you're, you're learning this this craft um what, what was your was your grandfather you said now he was it, it sounds like this was a huge passion for him and it, and then you and your brother became the passion you know as far as being able to pa- pass it on um yep. would he would he still come hunting with you or was it just kind of offering advice or did you guys take uh i I don't know was it like if you hunt the family farm or did you kind of take trips together or anything like that yeah so he would normally come along um gun hunting so when my my brother's two years older than me so when he was old enough to hunt by himself then my grandpa was hunting with me gun hunting um i think it was like 14 or 15 when you turned here in wisconsin you could start hunting by yourself Okay. So he would always, he would always guide me when it came to deer hunting. Like we would go set stands together and he'd be like, this might be a good spot because of this, but he always made me make my own decision. And then if I would like hunt and I would mess up a bunch of stuff, we would reassess and then he would go and we'd always, he'd, he was always kind of that type of teacher rather than like just setting me in a spot and saying, you're going to shoot a deer. It's mm-hmm. just in, enjoy what hunting is. And then success will come along with that got it and then do do kind of like a debrief after the fact like hey here's 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 what i would have done or here's what you did right and here's how we can um improve that kind of thing yeah exactly and and to be completely honest i didn't even shoot my first year until i think i was 15. okay just went through a lot of i don't know a lot of trials and tribulations when it comes to deer hunting i didn't know what i was doing and it, it, it was just a lot of him him not exactly handing these things to me. And then it also comes with like, obviously just sometimes it doesn't work out this, that when you're young, you don't really know how to like close on a deal all the time. So yeah, it just, it just took a little bit of experience for me to finally, finally seal the deal. Now um, you also got into uh, competition, right? Is that something that uh, you've been into for a long time or, was it was it something recent because like i said i started watching you know your, your stuff and i saw you know i've seen i've seen like more and more pictures of you i guess with um i don't know the, at different competitions and things like that so wh- when did that come about so i've always been competitive when it comes to like a shooting sport um in high school i shot a lot of competitive trap 
Uh, and then moving on, I just, when I fell out of high school or when I came out of high school, I didn't really compete that much, but I grew up, so shooting with my grandpa too, we always shot 3D courses at the local club. Um, and it wasn't until the beginning of the Restrung video that I was making that one of my grandpa's friends, when we were shooting at the club one night, when I brought my grandpa there, um, he told me, if you aren't going to compete, you're wasting your potential. Because he's like, you are good enough and you're young enough to where if you get good coaching and you really dedicate yourself to this, you're going to really, you can do really well at this. And it wasn't like I grew up shooting with just my grandpa and my brother and a couple guys at like the local club. So no one, I've never, I never knew or thought I was good mm-hmm. until like an outside friend of my grandpa was like, you, you need to uh, pursue this if, if, if you want, but I would, I would highly recommend it. And how old were you at the time then when this was kind of? This would be, uh, I would say 25, 25 or 26. I'm 29 now. So, so fairly recently. Okay. Okay. Um, are there a lot of competitions up, up near you? Did you have to, um, that's a twofold question. Yeah. Were, you, were you able to go check out that stuff? And then when you did, did what, what kind of, you know, did, did you change up your, your rig? Did you change up your style? Did you change up, you know, how, how, how you shoot and equipment wise or anything like that? And did it kind of take on as much of a passion as the hunting side of it? Or was it just, you know, just, just another outlet to keep shooting a bow? Yeah, so so competitive started. We have a lot a lot of local 3D shoots. That's what I call them. They're not like state recognized or anything like that. They're just like fun shoots. You can still win a little bit of money at them, but it's just more or less practice. Okay. Um, it wasn't like an ASA or an IBO or anything like that. Um, but I, I would shoot those as much as I could with my grandpa's friend. Uh, he just kind of grabbed me and was like, "Let's go here. Let's go here. Let's go here." In my whole life, I, I shoot right-handed, but I'm left-eye dominant. So my whole life has been instinctive shooting. It's just something I've always done. Um, it wasn't until I shot two years ago and then I shot state, Wisconsin state. I found out Well, I shouldn't say I found out. I just started competing there. I won it last year. And that was when I like, I just gained a little bit of confidence to jump into the bigger leagues mm-hmm. and wanted to jump into the the most accurate best league that I could so I ended up shooting or moving into like the bare bow division rather than like the modern recurve or just shooting the regular bow gotcha so the bare bow I, I'm, I'm not really that that up on the terminology for for competition stuff right so bare bow is uh is that is that what's kind of closer to a hunting rig and then no so I, I, Barebow is the competition rig. So that's a lot of, you'll see a lot of 25, 27, 29 inch risers. Oh, um, okay. Long limbs, string walking, plungers, um, all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Did you kind of have to reinvest in a lot of new new equipment to to pursue that too, or? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I I see your stuff on, uh, uh, on YouTube about different setups for those kind of rigs you know what i mean and, yep. and ilf uh, stuff like that you got a lot of tuning stuff out there yep. so is a lot of that stuff self-taught um how, how did you kind of come upon that knowledge so it sounds it sounds ignorant but growing up i didn't i never knew how to tune an arrow or a bow I, my grandpa always just kind of handed me my setup uh and was like this should work just shoot the bow <laughs> So it wasn't until the beginning of when I started making the restrung video. So 
in the beginning of the video, we, me and my grandpa each buy those Black Hunter uh, recurves. And the reason I did it was so I could go through a full tune with him, figuring out how he did it. And I filmed everything. And you, I mean, you get to see a little bit of it in the video, but I filmed every single thing we went through from the beginning to the end because I knew, I knew kind of what was happening with him. And I figured this is a way that I can always look back. And if I have questions, I'll always have video and be able to look yeah. at it that way. So, yeah, that was my first bowl that I ever like tuned. And then after that, it just became like this obsession. It's bowls, arrows. Once I was figuring out how to bear shaft tune, paper tune. Um, yeah, then it just became like a, a domino effect of making tons and tons of mistakes, but figuring out things kind of along the way. Yeah, so anybody listening, go definitely. I mean, ch check out you know Trey's channel, obviously, but definitely go watch that. It's it's a very very cool video. Um, I call it, I'm sorry, I call it a video, but you know let, let's let's call it a, um, a a short film even. And I mean, you guys you guys are there even like unboxing. You know what I mean? You're kind of showing that. Of course, like you said, you don't show every last little detail. I, I, yep. I thought it was very cool that um, it, it almost does. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like double duty. Uh, maybe I'm repeating what you said, but you're 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 curating memories, you know, as you go along, but you're also uh, like kind of writing down or or soaking up um, uh, just just, you know, knowledge. You know what I mean? Yep. Or like su subject matter. And he, like, he's like the subject matter expert and you want to get as much as you can because, uh, you know, you don't have a whole lot of time, uh, you know, with, with your mentor. So yep. that's uh, that's got to be pretty special. I mean, it's pretty special to watch. Yeah, it was it was honestly it it sucked knowing what was coming, but yeah. to be like being able to like put myself in that position to do all of that with him was just something like I I, I neglected it for years and I like you never think that day is coming until it's there, so that that neglect for years and just allowing the simplicity of me just being able to shoot a bow that's tuned, um, I just kind of felt like oh crap this is happening i need to figure this out if i really want to pursue traditional archery like i want to like this is the basics like i need to figure out how i need to figure out what to do to tune a bow how, how long did that take you um uh to tune to tune mine he couldn't draw his initially so we ended up having to get him another lower weight one but we tuned mine in probably less than a week i would say and that was just like two or three hours at a time because that's all he could do so like just just the ability to go through cutting arrows squaring off arrows doing inserts paper tuning bear shaft tuning it was just like a lot and then like brace height all that stuff it, it was mm -hmm. it was a slow really like methodical thought out process with him so it took it took a decent amount of time but obviously the amount of knowledge that i gained was was well worth it so about this time right um we're talking about about four years ago you said approximately uh three uh, or four years ago or yeah three years i think it is three years so bad now i think it's three so we, we, in that time or at least even in that time we've had kind of like the explosion of you know there's a lot more content out there there's a lot more tuning a lot more podcasts did you kind of um lean on any other you know podcasts or videos or channels or anything like that to kind of round out what you were learning or was it just like totally from from your grandfather 
Um, at that point, I did not. At that point, I again, I I didn't know there was things like the push. I didn't mm. know the, the Tom Clums and the Joel Turners. I was still stuck on my grandpa's old videos, the Fred Bears, the Howard Hills, <laughs> that yeah. type of thing. So when I like when I needed a little bit of knowledge, I'd pop in the old VHS and be like, "Oh yeah, that that makes sense." So it wasn't until th- that fall when I shot the deer that I did with the bow that I really was allowing myself to take a step back and like really start diving into like, I would call it like the science of really what traditional archery is. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of like, I didn't restart everything. I just kind of not necessarily clean my slate, but allowed myself to kind of start over and start reabsorbing everything that I already know, but then adding more to it. Did it change the way you uh, the way you shoot? You said you're mostly instinctive because you got that whole kind of crisscross thing going with the with the you know right handed or left eye dominant kind of thing. Um, did, did, did once you got into it a little bit deeper and you had a um, little little bit better working working knowledge of like tuning and what's really going on and uh, I'm I'm guessing uh, just just wild guess out here, but once you got in a competition too. Um, you know, a lot of people start reevaluating their, uh, I don't know, their form, you know what I mean? Their shot execution, that kind of stuff. Did, did you go through that as well and, and, and kind of evolve or did you just kind of still stick to, uh, one method of shooting? Um, I, a lot of that is still evolving. Um, for years now I've been working on, a, like you always work on to me, I'm, I'm kind of like obsessed with the shot and like ultra precision. Mm-hmm. So I'm always working on things to get better. Um, a lot of my like faults come from hand torque and stuff like that. So I'm always working on it. I still have the basic like drawing the bow. I learned how to do properly instead of like shoulder pulling, learning how to rotate back. Um, I still try to maintain a solid. My grandpa always taught back tension. He didn't necessarily teach like the rapid expansion, but he always taught kind of like this solid hold. Mm-hmm. don't collapse correct the, yeah. this, and it, it's kind of what i call like it's like i try to explain it to people like the wall of a compound it's like you hit that but then like with a recurve you would still be continuing momentum back just not like aggressively mm-hmm. so that that has changed and then obviously when i went into bearbow i did i do have to like slightly close one eye and i am using the point then um to shoot bearbow because that's string walking um, a lot of unknown distance, and then you're obviously just using the point and learning how to aim is more accurate. Um, so in a competition sense, I'll do that. But still, when it comes to hunting, I shoot instinctively. So you're able to separate it. I mean, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm just curious because I'll, I'll ask people this, you know, um, that they kind of do both. I don't do any competition. Um, but you know, I've, I've often, you know, you, you all, you often hear like, okay, well, if you shoot one style, like vertical bow and, um, you, you know, uh, gapping and using the, you know, arrow as a pin and this and that versus like, oh, it's going to totally screw you up for be able to take like quick instinctive shots at 15 yards. You know what I mean? And yep. I don't really buy that. Um, maybe for some people, I don't know. I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but I, I would, I, I, that's what I was asking. I was just kind of curious what, what it effect it had on you because I've tried both ways. You know, as far as like, okay, because I, I shoot with kind of like a pretty, pretty decent cant, um, yep. you know, up to 20 ish yards or whatever. I'm instinctive and I, honestly past 20 yards, my arrows drop off so far. I, I mean, my, my world ends at 20 yards, you know what I mean? So I'm not even looking out like 30, 40, whatever. Right. So 
for me, it doesn't make a difference. Um, I don't I, I can separate the two. Um, yep. And it sounds like you can as well. Yeah. So I so I have to be doing one or the other. It's not like I can just pick up my bow the next day and shoot instinctively as well as I would if I did it for a week. So in mm-hmm. somewhat in competition mode, I shoot competition. I shoot a vertical bow, string walking, use the point of the arrow. Everything's really dialed in, really precise. Uh, and then when it comes to hunting season, like, so our state shoot isn't, doesn't allow like string walking or anything like that. So I came out of a week out of competition, got a new bow, tuned the bow and started shooting instinctively and then competed the next week. So it wasn't like a long transition, mm-hmm. but I also practiced like excessively compared to a lot of people. So it was a week of a hundred plus arrows a day working me back into it. But once I found the tune and my, like my cast of the yeah. arrow, it didn't, it didn't take long for me to work back in. And I do camp my bow when I shoot uh, instinctively as well. So on the hunting side, what are you, uh, what are you shooting as far as, uh, your, your setup? Like what's kind of like a go-to, go-to rig? Yeah. I've always been around like the 50, 51 pound mark, um, shoot around 500 to 600 grand arrow, depending on how the arrow tunes. Uh, this year I started finding out that even with lower weight, I was just more accurate. Mm-hmm. So I kind of set up a bow this year. It's a, a Das Dalla 21 inch riser with my competition long limbs on it. So I'm shooting a 66 inch uh, recurve at 45 pounds at my draw length. And I'm shooting right around a 500, a little bit over 500 grain arrow. 66 inch recurve. Okay. That's pretty big yep. for, uh, or pretty long for, for hunting rig. Some people are going to be rolling their eyes because they're, they roll around with, you know, 68 inch long bows, but I, yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm not one of them. I can't, I like, I like a shorter bow. So, uh, do you find that, that, uh, that style of hunting, like Western, Western hunting excluded, but like whitetail hunting, do you, do you, do you, do you find like you like the maneuverability of a 66 inch bow? I know, I know the shootability is probably better for you, but what do you think yeah. about actually carrying the thing afield and physically like in, in brush or moving around what do, what do you think of that right so so in a ground blind it doesn't work none of my ground blinds they're all like 62 inch 64 inch max so it does not work in one of them um i do have my black hunters set up i think those are 60 inch bows for stuff like that but to be completely honest my main goal is just to make the best shot that i can so whichever bow allows me to do that is the one i'm going to shoot and I shoot significantly better. I shouldn't say significantly. I shoot better with a longer bow than I do with a shorter one. I mean, my competition bow was 70 inches. Mm-hmm. And even going down to 60 inches, I could tell right away when I shot it side by side with one of my 62-inch bows. It was smoother, and I just shot it better. So my like going into hunting season, my only goal is to make the absolute best shot that I can. So I'm going to shoot the bow that fits that description, if that makes sense. No, what you said almost exactly echoes what uh, Matt Zernzak said. I had him on last year, year and a half ago or whatever. We were talking about ILF rigs. It was like an ILF 101 kind of episode. And yep. I brought up the same the, the same thing. Like, hey, you know, I, I like the maneuverability better. I feel more comfortable not having to worry about where my limb tips are in various you know positions, whether it's in a tree stand or on the ground or contorted or, or, or what have you. But his thing was, look, you know, uh, in his case, he goes, I might shoot like several thousand arrows a month 
okay and you know tens of thousands arrows uh, thousands of arrows a year versus like one or two actual shots on game so he he see pretty I mean, he, he was a uh, partial like a 64 inch bow and he said the exact same thing he's like look you know i'm i'm going to go with the rig that gives me the most confidence knowing that i've made that exact shot 10,000 times before for like the one shot and i'll deal with having to maneuver around or whatever you know so i yeah, I, I get. I guess you guys are onto something because you're a whole lot more <laughs> successful than I am. So, <laughs> yeah, and and to me, it's it's all about shootability. At the end of the day, yeah. if I don't get a shot on the animal, it doesn't really matter. So I I do a lot of ground hunting for whitetail too. So that's going to mm-hmm. kind of be a test this year. Yeah, but um, we'll see. I mean, I'll make it work. I've been practicing. I practice in every single scenario that I could possibly be in. So. I have been shooting on my knees quite a bit and it actually, it hasn't been that much of a different. I just got to camp the ball a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I think, I think for me, I, I've got the mental block of, um, I'm, I'm always wondering where my limb tips are and yeah. are they going to, you know, if I, do I need to camp more? If I, if I stand it up a little bit more, am I going to hit the ground? Am I going to hit my leg? Am I going to hit some brush, uh, tree, whatever. So yeah. I, I can't personally, I can't get out. Maybe it's, it's not warranted, but I can't get over that like mental uh, distraction and yeah. I don't want anything that's a distraction. You know what I mean? No. So yeah, it's, it's, I can, I see both sides of it. I know I'm kind of arguing my point where yeah. it really, there is no argument. I mean, most everyone will agree with what you and Matt said, <laughs> shoot the bow that's more accurate and gives you the confidence. Cause you're going to make, you're going to need that accuracy for that, for that, you know, one perfect shot. So yep. yeah. So, um, uh, is, is that your only bow that you hunt with then? Or is that, is that kind of, um, do you, do you do other stuff? I mean, do you do like all wood bows? Do you, are you, are you solely, uh, kind of like an ILF? Uh, I know you had the black hunter and, and stuff that you said, but do you, do you have anything else or do you, are you just kind of set on the ILF cause of it's, uh, I don't know, weight, shootability, adjustability. A lot of it. Yeah. A lot of it now is just shootability. So I have a bunch of bows. I have. Uh, Morrison custom longbow. I have black hunters. I'm looking at a bear super Kodiak. Um, and then I got a whole ton. I got a stalker. I got a bunch of different uh, recurves, that type of thing. But I shoot whichever bow I'm shooting the best at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is still times that I do pull out the black hunter every once in a while and I will shoot that. But uh, I still want to kill something with this Morrison longbow that I have here. I've still never shot an animal with that. But I, I, I just can shoot my ILFs better. Uh, yeah. I don't know because I did, I did dabble in compound for a little bit. So I know what technology can do and what it does. So it, the shooting an ILF allows me to tune more precisely, I feel. And then I, I feel like I can just shoot the bowl better. Sure. No, that, that makes, that makes, um, that makes total sense. Um, okay. So, I, w- I want to rewind just a little bit here too. I, w- I kind of want to go back to when you first started filming. Now, did you d- did you film before that first um, th- that movie or that that film or like like other kind of shorter videos or anything like that? Or was kind of like that the first one? No, I've I've been filming my hunts probably since I was eighteen, maybe younger, sixteen. Okay. Um, a lot of it at the time was just cheap cameras, GoPros, uh, stuff like that. A lot of and a lot of it I never put on YouTube. I never put out. I just wanted to watch it myself. 
Um, I do have a hunt. I, I worked for like Midwest Whitetail for like a year. I do. I did have a hunt on one of theirs where I shot my big one of my biggest bucks at the time with a compound. Um, so I've always been into the filming game. Yeah. And and you decided, uh, hey, I'm gonna jump on this YouTube thing. Um, was it? Was it out of a desire to share? Are you like, are you like a creative kind of guy? You know what I mean. I'm 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 always curious about what what makes people, you know, say, "Hey, I'm gonna put this out there for the world to see," and and yeah, <laughs> you know, the good and the bad. Because trust me, you get all kinds of of, of comments and criticism and and that kind of stuff. So, uh, what was the kind of kind of like big push to do that? Um, a lot of it was just being able to show people. Uh, what I do, obviously shooting traditional archery, but then there was that, there was that want to help. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm a very, like, if I'm going to learn something, it's going to be the hard way. I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to mess it up badly. It's going to cost me money. It's going to break something, but I'm going to figure it out. So a lot of my beginning videos were showing those kind of trials and tribulations through that. And being able to show like how I messed up a bunch of arrows or this or that. There's a lot of stuff that I filmed that I haven't even put out because a lot of it's just embarrassing. A lot of it's just like, wow, I look back on it now. Like how how could I have thought that was a good idea? Mm-hmm. So, But a lot of it was just to be able to not necessarily entertain, but just show people, I don't know, like something that I love doing. I've, I've, I've always been kind of creative when it comes to videography. Um, I went to school for it for a semester and I hated college. So that's why I dropped out of it, but it was always something I wanted to pursue. It's just, it's always been on kind of like the back burner for me. And I do it more as like a hobby now than anything. Well, I mean, you're pretty good at it. You know what I mean? I, I certainly, I certainly enjoy, enjoy the content. Um, you know, um, I mean, I, I enjoy any content, but I mean, as far as like, I, I do watch a lot is what I'm trying to say. So, uh, I, I think you do a pretty good, you know, pretty good job at, at it. You're, you're, you, you come off likable, you come off knowledgeable and you come off enthusiastic and, uh, there's, you know, I, I don't know, you could ask, you know, for much more than that. So it sounds like, you know, you know what you're doing with that. So, um, okay. So, uh, let's, I guess, um, we can fast forward a little bit to, the kind of like the finale, the crescendo of, of, of this, because you recently had a pretty, I'm going to call it epic. Okay. Cause it, cause it looked that way from the footage, yep. uh, hunt out in Nebraska. Now, of course, like you've shot tons of deer, you shot tons of other stuff. Um, but this was kind of like a really cool, like recent, uh, I mean, it was only, we're, we're recording this on September, what, 10th, uh, yep. night of September 10th or whatever. And you, I mean, this was like what a week and a half ago, I think you were, yeah, you, you were out there and it was your very yeah. first velvet buck. So kind of walk me through, uh, the, the planning, what made you want to go out West? Have you always gone out West and just kind of, I don't know, t- 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 at, at the risk of sounding like nine finger chronicles here, tell, <laughs> tell, tell the story of your buck. Yeah. So a lot of it was just, I've, I've shot some whitetails before and a lot of it is just now being the age that I am with the family that I have. It's more or less just starting to pursue other animals. Uh, a big thing for me obviously was being able to get out and finally start chasing like whitetail or mule deer, different species. So it was, a have I've hunted Missouri before I've shot a whitetail in Missouri. I've hunted North Dakota. I've went to Iowa, South Dakota. So I've always kind of like journeyed my way out there. 
but it wasn't until this year that I had a buddy kind of, he kind of asked me, he's like, Hey, you want to go to Nebraska? They, you, I think you can shoot mule deer. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't have any points in any States or anything like that. So I was like, yeah, sure. We might as well, I mean, kind of just wing it. And that was honestly, that's all it was. That's how all my trips have kind of been. They've just, they're just kind of a, as we go type style trip. So we did a little bit of e-scouting and then, yeah, ended up in Nebraska. I think it was August 27th or 28th. We were there a couple days early to scout. So um, just you two guys go, are you guys camping? Is it like public? Uh, I, I don't know how, I don't know how it works out there where, I mean, can you just like camp wherever or are you like in a motel, hotel, whatever, and then doing, uh, doing day trips or. Yeah. So we were, so we were, we found a campsite. We kind of just drove out there with intentions to either stay at a, like a local motel or if we can find a cheap campsite. Uh, a big thing for me is obviously doing everything like budget minded. Mm-hmm. So I can sleep in a tent for like $5 or $10. I'd rather do that than stay in a hotel as long as the weather's fine. So that was kind of what we did. We just normally, normally my method of going into a different state is spend the first day driving around and getting familiar with all the public land that you could potentially be hunting. Mm-hmm. So we kind of, we kind of found camp. Um, and then there's a bunch of chunks of public and we just spent the the first day just literally driving around every single piece of public, kind of judging it, seeing potential if there was deer, and then obviously looking for hunter pressure as well. How, how was the hunter? You, you mentioned something before we started. So how was the hunter pressure out there? So for the first two days of scouting, I mean, if you want to go on like if your first out west hunt, Nebraska is full of white-tailed does. It is just infested with them. I think the first day we saw 40 white-tailed does. Oh, wow. We didn't see many white-tailed bucks. Probably the whole trip, I would say we saw about 10. Uh, Best one being about a two-year-old. And then we saw less than like six or seven mule deer bucks. So, but for the first two days, there was no pressure. We were there early. Every, we had kind of, I kind of thought it was going to be like, wow, this is incredible. Um, we just spent nights glassing. We were driving around. There was deer everywhere. I mean, you would see 20 to 30 deer in the morning and at night, and if, no matter what spot you would go to. So there was just a really high population of deer. Uh, we noticed right off the bat that the, the age class wasn't necessarily there. Uh, so we just kind of dropped our standards and said, if we're going to make the best of this trip, we're going to have to lower our standards and figure out, like, we're, we were both kind of going for our first velvet buck, so it didn't really matter. Uh, my goal was obviously a mule deer so I could check a mule deer off my list. But my buddy, it was his first trip out of the state in general. So his standards were just honestly just try to get a buck that was in velvet or just get a buck out of state. Got it. Were, um, were, were does on the menu at all or did, were you guys kind of set on, set on bucks? Um, it eventually, it rapidly turned to does, uh, after opening day. So, (laughs) so, so opening day, opening night, we were scouting around and this is when we kind of figured things were going to start getting rough. Uh, we're driving around opening night, not opening night, the day before. And now we're starting to see vehicles and parking spots and we're like, okay, there's people walking in, there's people glassing. Uh, we had a really good spot set up the night before that where we were watching these five whitetail bucks come off of a ridge right off the road. And they were literally working at the road, going across the road to feed. And mm-hmm. we're like, hey, this is where we're going to hunt opening night. As we just have to get here early. And we show up there two hours before daylight. And there's a guy already that blew out the whole bedding area because he was going up the glass. 
not knowing that the deer bedded right off the road. Mm-hmm. So we just, I, I knew right there and then that we were going to have to be adaptive. And that morning, the, the day before opening that morning, we found the bucks that the one that I ended up shooting. And when we showed up opening morning at that spot, there was four trucks already oh, there. Geez. So we knew kind of like right away, right when we're driving up, I was like, oh man. So we, we, we did our due diligence. We talked to every single one of them, asked where they were going. Thankfully, at that time, we were the only ones hunting the one side of the road. But then obviously, if you watch the video, you you get a pretty good look at during the stock. We weren't the only ones going in on them. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Okay. So I, I want, I want you to tell that story then. So let's, let's kind of yep. go to, it was opening day, right? Basically. Yep. So, um, walk, walk me through that. Cause you did, ha- you did have some kind of other hunters kind of almost intercept you and this buck, right? So, uh, what, what, so what time do you guys get there and kind of walk me through the, through the day? So we got there at, at daylight. I forgot what time daylight was. Um, it was mountain time. So I think, it would have been like six o'clock, six thirty. Daylight's cracking. Uh, we watched these bucks come out of this gully the day before, so we're kind of just setting up. We talked to everyone that was there. They're all like, "Yep, we're going this way." They're all going different ways. So we go up on the glassing knob, and instantly we did, we saw them driving up. We're just like, "Let's get to the glassing knob and just kind of analyze the situation." Um, there was a couple more. There was a smaller buck and a couple mule deer does off to our left, and then these these two bucks that we ended up going in on, right out in front of us. Uh, I glassed for about two hours, I would say, just watching these deer mosey around in this field. And my buddy ended up going into a different gully trying to kill one of the other smaller mule deer bucks that was kind of like two or 300 yards off to the left. Um, he ends up being just being unsuccessful. They just walk the other way. He ends up coming back on the glassing knob. And right at about that time, I see the deer finally go over a hill into the gully that we were watching. Um, and we could hear people talking behind us the whole morning. I just didn't know where they were. I thought they were on the road because we were only like 75 yards off the road glassing. Mm-hmm. They ended up being like 200 yards behind us up on this giant hill. I just never saw them up there. So they were coming down. And, I, and, and my buddy's like, I think you might, you should probably go. These guys might be going in after these deer. So I was like, all right, I'll go in. Thinking they're already, they're still up on the mountain. They had a long ways to come down. Figuring, but you could hear them that far back. Was it was it just like echoing and just sound traveled that far? Or? I don't I don't know. I they sounded like they were right next to me. I still can't figure it out to this day. Like why? So crystal clear. Like yeah. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but I could hear mumbling. And I think they were just talking loud. To be completely honest, I think they just <laughs> were. I think they they were just younger dudes. I think just talking loud. Yeah. So I go in, I'm, I'm watching them come down the hill. They're watching me. So I tell my buddy, you know what, um, jump on the, jump on the glass here. I'm going to dive in. And I had to make, I had to make the call between, I knew they just went over, they just went over this lip just barely into this gully. And I know, I guess I'd, I've never hunted mule deer before, but I read a lot. You're supposed to come over the tops on them. Like it's easier to clear the to clear distance doing that. But at this time, I had a lot of wind on my side, and I, I knew these deer were going to be feeding rather than bedding. So they, they bedded around 9 or 10 o'clock, and it was still early, like still 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I dove down into this gully, um, and then I just still hunted my way. I just took it. I, mean, I do a lot of still hunting back home, or I do a lot of ground hunting. So I just kind of played the same, play the wind, come around with the shaded spots where the wind would be, kind of like hunting a whitetail buck bed. Um 
I ended up jumping a small whitetail buck, almost shot him if he wouldn't have been quartering to me. I probably would have. Uh, and then I slowly just made my way about three-quarter of the way there. Like in the video, you can see I finally get cell reception. So I climb up and out of the hole that I'm in, and I call my buddy. I'm like, hey, did those deer blow yet? Because the whitetail that I blew out ran right at him. And I was, I called him. He's like, no, you're good. Um, deer didn't come out, but you got those two guys from behind you are sprinting through the field right now. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, I, they're, they're going after the deer. Where are you? And we, we kind of set out some markers in this gully. And I was like, hey, I'm by this square tree, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, crap. They're literally in front of that tree. Oh, shit. So instantly in my head, I kind of go into panic, like, oh, man, I got I to gotta at least get up by them in case they blow them out. So I, I kind of hustle a little bit faster. I, I knew this, the gullies that these deer went into, I, I couldn't see it because there was a hill behind it. But when I looked at my base map, there was like 10 different draws going into this gully. So I just kind of show up in this array of draws, not knowing I'm just slowly picking them apart as I'm walking through, anticipating these hunters to be in front of me. So I, I finally hit like the center of this gully and I'm just trying to work my way out. I, pretty much what I was going to do was just come out of the hole, find the guys, reassess the situation. If I could locate the deer, relocate them and then go back in. Um, I just, I honestly just wanted to know where the people were. Not that I'm like stalking it on the deer and there's someone standing above him. Do you, do you think like um, they were watching the same deer before, or do you think like when you blew that one deer out, they saw that deer and decided to run in figuring there's more deer or were they yes. watching them the whole time? I asked my buddy and when I called him and he never saw the whitetail come out. So I'm guessing mm. the whitetail just ran the gully the whole time. Okay. And these guys, I'm assuming what they do. I ended up talking to them later that night. They saw deer and they thought one of them was bigger so they ended up going in on it. They didn't, and I talked to them. They said they didn't see me go off the back of the hill into the gully because mm -hmm. we were we were both just glassing. So, but I mean, they ran fifty yards away from my buddy who was sitting on the hill. Right. So, yeah. So I'm just coming out of this hole and just being completely oblivious to those these deer could be there. I look off to my right, and this deer is standing three quarters of the way up this twenty foot. I don't even know what you would call it, like this bank eating grass. And I just kind of looked at him, and it was the bigger of the two. And I was like, oh, man, here we go. And I thought, like, I thought right there it was done. You can see in the video, he takes off out of there. I didn't have an arrow knocked, just a total rookie <laughs> rookie move. I'm irritated. So I, I did my best to try to, like, when the deer took off the last time, to just run out and get up in front of it and see where it went. Just at that time, as soon as I come over that hill, I look up and the other buck he was with is coming down at me through a different draw. So I don't know if the other buck or he, if he was just confused or he never saw the other deer run away, but it just ended up working out that he was coming down the draw at me. I just took a couple steps back, figuring I'm going to let him not skyline me. He's going to get to a spot, hopefully, where I can shoot him. I think I gave him like five or six seconds, peeked over the edge, and he was actually working his way up the other side. And that's when I that's when I got the shot at him. And that was a nice shot. I mean, that was, what, close to 30 yards, I think it was? or Yeah, it was like when I went back and ranged, it was between 30 and 31 yards. 
Wow, cool. Um, so the other hunters were they were they at this point like after kind of figuring out all the puzzle pieces after the fact? Where yeah. were they in relation to let's say you're at the six o'clock, the deer is at the twelve o'clock. Where where were those other two uh, hunters? They ended up being behind me. So they okay. ended up. So my my buddy, we just we misinterpreted the tree we were at. So when he said the deer weren't in front or the guys were in front of me, they were actually behind me. So the, the quick rush that I made up to the deer and coming out of the hole, right when I shot the deer, I turned around and looked on the hill and I thought it was my buddy. I could see someone playing as day at like a hundred yards away. And I thought that was my buddy. I thought he was following me. I thought he was trying to catch up to me and I ended yep. up like cheering putting my binoculars up at the guy and he's looking at me with his and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> that, is, that is not my buddy. <laughs> so it was kind of like that awkward, funny stage yeah. where I'm like, Oh, okay. That's not, that's not him. So, and that was when, yeah, they were probably, they were a hundred yards behind me on a different hill glassing that gully because they watched the 10 point or the, not the 10 point, the, the four point come out, the one that spooked out and they didn't right. know why. And they didn't know why the deer was running out. Yeah, I, I was just curious because you said the one that you shot was kind of coming back towards you down down that hill. And I, I, I was wondering, it wasn't clear from the video. And I thought, yeah. well, maybe if those guys were ahead of you, maybe like they kind of wind bumped them back toward you. You know what I mean? Right. But I guess that wasn't the case. Yeah. Yeah. I just think this deer was completely oblivious to what was <laughs> going on. I think he was just eating in his own draw. Yeah. And when the other one took off, he never saw the other deer come out of the gully. And he was just doing, he probably still thought, because he was literally going down to where the other buck was. So I think he was just still thinking that deer was there because he saw him walk there and just was making his uh, way back. Okay. So, yeah, it was, it was honestly just kind of a luck of being in the right place at the right time. Obviously, leading up to it, making the correct pin on a GPS, ending up in the gully coming out of the right bowl that was lucky coming picking that that was the easiest way to get up and out that's the reason i picked it and just being able to be exactly on one of the 10 gullies or draws that he was in so there was definitely that luck factor there yeah no that and then like i said and, and you made a really nice shot on him um what what kind of broadhead did you use um i was shooting a simmons swamp shark Oh, okay. All right. Because so that it, it did open it up pretty good. I, I know when you kind of go up on the, um, when you kind of come up on the deer, you know what I mean? It's uh, got some stuff hanging out there. For, yeah, I've never, I've never seen that. So I've always shot in like Zwickies. Mm -hmm. Again, it's something my grandpa's had. He's taught me how to use like a jig with uh, files and then like a rada and a strop to sharpen them. But I got them for turkeys Yeah. to shoot. Because I obviously shoot a lot of turkeys around here. Um, I got them just for the wider cutting diameter. But then I was just like, well, why wouldn't I just try them on shooting whitetail? I mean, the bigger the hole, the better the blood trail. Sure. And actually the first animal I took with one. And when that arrow hit, I could see the hole that that thing made when that deer was running away. Made a gash, so, huh? Yeah. yeah it, it ended up going in. It went in a little high because I was higher than him, and it stuck into that opposite shoulder. And that hole that it made going in, and it ended up poking out its armpit, mm -hmm. and that whole other shoulder muscle literally looked like pulled pork. Really? From, from that broadhead, just because uh, it was stuck in his leg, so it was just acting as like a, I don't even know, like a little machete Sh in there. Shredder, yeah. 
Yeah, and it just tore that leg. I've never seen so much de- destruction on an animal wow. before, even with a gun. And, yeah, when I saw that deer, I was super impressed. Um, it did bend my insert in my broadhead, but that's obviously to – that does happen sometimes. So Yeah, right. So how long did how long did it take to uh, to recover? But wasn't that well? I mean, the, the video kind of cuts away a couple times, right? And you kind of splice it together. But how long did you? Um, how long was the blood trail for that? How long did he did he run? Um, I think he he just made it down to the bottom of the gully, right where I kind of walked in. He was just okay. on the side of it. So we didn't even blood trail him, to be honest. Um, I walked back. We were about a mile and a half in. My buddy forgot his frame pack. <laughs> I had walked back to the truck to get mine. So I walked all the way back a mile and a half, grabbed my frame pack. And then this time we're talking, he's going after the other buck. So it was probably an hour and a half. Okay. Um, I was confident in the shot, but I also knew where I watched the arrow hit that it was a little further back. So I just wanted to give him enough time. And we just walked down that same ridge that I walked up, <laughs> hit the gully. And about, you can see in the video, I walk about 20 yards in the gully and he's just laying right in the bottom of it. Right. Yeah. I, I... Uh, I saw some shrubbery and stuff in there too. So I don't know if he kind of collapsed in there or, or if you had to go through that stuff. Cause it, it shows kind of you walking through it, you know? So, yep. but yeah, obviously he, he didn't go far. And then the pack out, you know, is, is it, it, I mean, it, it's kind of the, the terrain without giving too much away where you hunt, but um, they got those gullies and stuff, but I'm assuming that once you climb out of those, it's, it's relatively flat. I mean, yep. did you, did you have like, you, you, yeah, so you're not really hiking up and down steep anything, right? Uh, it was like uh, getting, getting out of the gully was the hardest part. Yeah. Um, but after that, it's more like rolling hills. Okay. So it, it was, it wasn't as hard to like traverse than say like, I don't know, hunting in Colorado or anything like that. It wasn't right. very mountainous at all. Right. So then when you, um, what, what are the rules for bringing back, uh, like carcass, uh, skull, that kind of stuff? Do you have to kind of boil out any, you know, all the meat and brain, all that stuff, uh, to be able to bring that back with, with CWD and everything like that? Or what was, what's the, uh, uh, what, what, what's the rules on that? Cause it was your first, it was your first velvet buck, right? Yep. Um, yep. and you're, <laughs> you're super pumped about it. So, yeah. um, obviously you're, you're bringing it back. So what do you have to do to do that? So we, so we just quartered them and then we, I didn't, I'm not doing like a shoulder mount or anything with them. I'm just doing the European mount. Mm-hmm. So we, I just ended up cutting the neck off pretty much. And then just getting him on dry ice, like two hours after getting them. Okay. Uh, that was what was recommended by my taxidermist. The velvet surprisingly actually started pulling a lot. Mm. Um, I, I never realized how delicate velvet was. Uh, literally I touched it and it cracked. Wow. So, it's just one of those it's a very delicate thing and i was like grabbing onto his antlers you know messing with them trying to clean them up and i did get a crack and then just putting him in the cooler thankfully he fit inside of a cooler and then jamming his antlers kind of not jamming but putting his antlers in there with the dry ice there's marks where his antlers like the velvet split just from doing that too and there's a lot of there's a lot of hair slipping on the inside wow so yeah, I didn't oh. realize it was like that much of a, a delicacy, but it's definitely something that I'll know to do better next time. I took it to my taxidermist and he was like, you didn't do a bad job. I've seen a lot worse. So as long as I can just be right in the middle with how I did it, now I know for next time what to do. Yeah, yeah. So um, did you, was your buddy, was your buddy successful too or? Uh, he was not. So after that, we ended up going back out to that spot at night just because of that 
uh, whitetail that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up rewalking, still hunting the other part of this gully out about a mile and a half of that. All he ran into was a six by six bull elk. Um, and then the next morning, our game plan was to go back in that go, like just to re- kind of redo what we did. We knew there were still deer in the area, um, but we just kind of ran into conflict with some guys. We ended up staying at a hotel because it was storming out, uh, talked to a bunch of other hunters that were there. And just when our alarm went off, car doors closed and people were already off. So oh, wow. we, knew, we knew what was going on already. And when we showed up at the spot, people were already in the gully hunting. Oh, so it was just, <laughs> it's the same stuff I deal with here hunting on public land. It's just kind of like this first come first serve thing. Mm-hmm. So we just ran into that like immediately. And we ended up just grabbing our stuff, honestly, packing up, going to the mid part of the state instead of the Western part of the state, um, trying a whole new area and just ran into even more pressure so we ended up coming back last friday when we were supposed to come back on sunday wow do you think uh uh do you you think a lot of that is still like kind of residual like covid uh influx of people you know what i mean because i've seen it here just locally in public because i hunt like 99 percent public uh last year last season was uh, noticeably more i mean i'm not going to say it's like ridiculous but i mean it was noticeably more uh cars and trucks and 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 more people out in the woods than in previous years enough that it's like oh crap there's that many people here um and i don't know if that's the covid if, well that i know for 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 a fact that that's the covid effect here I, is it always that busy out west did you talk to people there or did they say that it was busier than the normal or what's what's the reasoning yeah so last year i heard i talked to a lot of like residents and a lot of people that went out there for the past how many years it's progressively gotten worse um i think the reason is nebraska is just it's an over-the-counter state you have the ability to shoot a mule deer so that's kind of like it's it's a starting point for a lot of people wanting to dive into western hunting Mm. Uh, and there's there's a great population of deer i mean we saw 150 plus deer probably during the trip so there's, there's no lack of animals. It's just quality animals are just really far and few in between. Yeah. Nebraska private land is totally different. I mean, that's, it's incredible hunting land, but this, this private just gets hunted. It's over the counter bull muzzleloader. And if I'm right, I think it's over the counter rifle as well. So oh, wow. these, these spots just get torn apart by gun hunters and, and bow hunters too. I mean, there's obviously a ton of people out there, but I think, I think it's an influx, not only in COVID. Um, I think obviously like YouTube is a big promoter. You have a ton of guys who are going out and trying out West hunts now, which is giving a lot of these kids outlets and chances to go try these things. I shouldn't even say kids because everyone, I mean, it doesn't matter the age. And like, I like back, back when I was in my young twenties, teens, there was none of this. I didn't know that even going out West was like, I didn't know there was an over-the-counter Nebraska tag. I didn't know, like, you just don't know these things unless you really start diving into them. So I think the the accessibility of the information mm-hmm. is also probably causing a lot of it. Sure, sure. It's the combination of, like, the Stephen Ranella effect and the hunting public effect, you know, uh, yep. t- together, which is which is great and not so great, I guess, you know, depends how you look at it. But, uh, yeah, I, that's, like you said, a lot of information out there. People can do a lot of... Um, 
a lot of Googling, a lot of watching like, oh, this, like you said, this, you know, you may not have known that such opportunities exist, especially early season too, because it seems like some of these states, like Western states, they have a lot of early season hunting opportunities. And if a guy or girl can go out there and get a hunt in, in like late August in some places like Antelope or whatever, or early, early September, and then they can still come back and still, you know, hammer whitetails, you know, from, you know, October through the end of December at home, you know what yep. I mean? It's just extending their season, which again is kind of fantastic for, you know, promoting hunting and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I want more hunters. I just don't want them near me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that, that's exactly what I, I mean, the same reason we did it. I can't, I can't look in like not look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same reason we went out there. It's a, it's, it was a cheap tag with the ability to potentially shoot a mulier, yeah. which to me was like, check a mulier off my list. Yeah, I want to start getting into like the Wyoming, the high country, stuff like that. But it, it's a good first experience. And now you're having these younger kids being able to take these trips because of the amount of information that they can gather. Yeah. Which we're, I mean, we're all doing it at the same time. I'm just 29. So we're all, we're all kind of doing it together. But yeah, even, even the hunting around here, I do the same thing as you. I probably hunt, I, I would say I hunt 100% public. If I find an accessible route to public that's private and they let me yeah. hunt it, I'll hunt it. Or if I find private and I find a deer on it and I try to kill that deer, then I'll, that, that's about the only time I'll hunt public but eat or private. But the, even the amount of hunters around me when it comes to public has gone up substantially. Yeah. What, what is the tag out uh, for Nebraska, if I'm asked? Uh, it was 310. It's like 285 for the tag, and then you have to buy a habitat, a habitat stamp with it. Okay, and that gets you what one one deer or? Um... Yep. So you get you get one deer, um, either species and either sex. So you can shoot, but in in the in the Pine Ridge unit, which is the northwest unit, you can't shoot a mule deer doe. So okay. you can shoot either. Yeah, you get one. You get one kill tag essentially, and you can kill one deer. Okay. Do do doe tags run cheaper, or like if you don't get an e- either sex one, or are they all just kind of either sex, yeah, or does it depend I mean, on unit? It's literally just an over the counter statewide tag. So okay. If you're not in a draw area. They do have like, I think they have like certain special hunts. If if you're not within that gap, you can literally. It's just a statewide tag. That you can oh, use gotcha. any sex deer. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've wanted to go out west to like uh, like Wyoming, let's say, for um, like antelope, you know. Yep. And I think, uh, you know, like a buck tag is like, I don't know, two. Again, this has been a couple of years since I've looked at it, like 280 something, like close to 300. But like a doe tags are like 46 bucks. Yeah. Or, something, or I'm sure they've gone up a couple dollars, but. A year or two ago, there was like, there were like 46 bucks and, and me, I'm like, okay, I'm all about just the experience and and meat, right? I'm not like an antler guy. So, um, any of this kind of, uh, like, like doe hunts or whatever is, it, it certainly makes it like even way cheaper an option for somebody like me who wants to go and have an, have an experience out West or, you know, quote unquote out West as their, you know, first kind of gate gateway animal kind of thing. Um, and, and be able to do it with, you know, saving on you know, saving a substantial amount of money, I guess, on, on tag fees. Yep. You know? Yeah. And that's kind of why I think we, we all gravitate towards those States. 
Um, to me, I try to do everything as budget friendly as I can. I mean, I've hunted Missouri. Missouri isn't a cheap ta- or uh, isn't an expensive tag. Mm-hmm. I've hunted North Dakota. That's an early start with a cheap tag. So I think we all like when you're looking for those first adventures. I think we all gravitate obviously towards price. And then like ease uh, or ease of hunting that that certain place. Like yeah, North Dakota is normally a September first opener. Um, Nebraska, like you said, is a September first o- opener. So you do get the ability to to go take that early hunt. Yeah, we were out um, on a family vacation here just a few weeks ago out uh, in South Dakota. You know, so the whole touristy, you know, Rapid City area, Badlands or whatever. And I hadn't been there in like a long, long time, like twenty years. Um, but I know people kind of hunt out there ish, you know what I mean? And yep. of course I'm out there and I'm trying to look on Onyx, like, okay, like what, what is around here? Because if you go on like, um, a lot of these, uh, state game and fish websites, it is very, very confusing. I mean, it's ridiculous. It can be confusing. Uh, the South Dakota one, I, I couldn't even like figure out because there's the, the maps that come up, especially on the mobile version. But anyway, so I'm sitting there going, why isn't anything coming up? I'm like, oh, duh. I only have the subscription for Minnesota, so it doesn't show anything out <laughs> in the other, <laughs> in any other States, you know, but I was out there going, Hmm, I'm on a vacation here, but, uh, you know, I can do some uh, kind of e-scouting while I'm out here to kind of get a lay of the land because uh I'd, I'd really be interested to go 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 out there and, and chase something you know um it's only you know nine hours from from my house basically so that's south south dakota north dakota some of those areas would seem you know doable you know yep yeah north north dakota wasn't bad when we were there um i did end up filming a guy in south dakota uh when he had a white tail tag so we saw a ton of mule deer uh, this was also seven years ago, but yeah, uh, South Dakota is definitely on my radar as well to either go. I know I have a bunch of buddies who go out there and chase, um, pronghorn, pronghorn every year. So that's what a, I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. They have a blast doing it out there too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Are you, so what's on, uh, what's on tap for you, uh, this year? I kind of got you on for an over an hour here, so we can kind of start wrapping it up, but, uh, what's, what's, what's on tap for, for Trey for the rest of the rest of the year? Um, probably just getting ready to gear up here uh for the wisconsin season that starts next week um if i'm lucky time permitting family permitting i might take one other trip it's either going to be in october or november depending on how my tag goes if i feel it or if i don't feel it here um i hunt kind of like i'll I'll figure it out i kind of play it as i go Mm -hmm. if things eating up around here or some of my spots are getting good then i'll hunt here um if everything's kind of dry right now then i'll i'll shoot out of state so it's either going to be somewhere in the midwest again i would assume and this will be for um for a deer species or are you going to go after like like elk or, or something like that no if you would, go out west yeah it would just be for deer it would be somewhere okay. missouri illinois indiana something like that just oh to... gotcha 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 okay okay um, and you're Go ahead. No, I was just saying something close to home. Something close to home. And uh, you're still going to stick with the uh, the DOS? Yeah, I'm going a, I'm to a test I'm gonna test run it this whole year. I'm going to make sure. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see uh, of that arrow combo and then the broadhead and with the lower poundage. So I want to, I just kind of want to prove some things to myself. So I'm going to spend this year, I think, just really trying to get as many deer as I can through that whole system with the uh swamp shark yep yeah with yeah. that and with the 45 pound bow because i've never i've never shot anything with a bow that light 
Mm-hmm. So I just I just have a lot of things to prove to to myself regarding that weight. Man, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, if you do, I'm looking forward to watching it happen. <laughs> uh, did did you shoot all that on a GoPro, by the way? That that stock that you did on on that was that a GoPro footage? That's a DJI Osmo action. DJI so, Osmo. Yeah, uh, check it out. Uh, I know you had I don't know how to pronounce the guy's last name. Jason Sam. Yes, he yep. just posted on his page about one about a month ago, and that was the Ked camera he just started running. Um, mm. I just mine throughout that restrung video, yep. and that's all of mine are right now. Um, it shoots really good quality. I bought it when it just came out, so it was about double what it is now, but it has something called steady or rock steady on it. And when you're walking, it planes rather than having like the shakiness. So okay, it, it kind of has like a gimbal inside of it, or it acts like it has a gimbal inside of it. So it's real, it's real steady, and it gives you a real fluid, fluid look when you're walking. Yeah, I I just got that Hero Black Eight or the Hero Eight Black or whatever last year for Christmas, and I, yeah. I don't have a ton of experience like using it. So I'm I'm just you know that's probably what I'll do if I if I you know carry any camera with me yeah. uh, this year. Um, as far as like quote unquote hunting, you know, shots go, you know, everything else I kind of just film on my iPhone. But um, as far as that goes, yeah, I just need a little more experience with it. But no, I mean, that that came out. I I was just curious because that was um, it had enough field of view and it didn't seem uh, what's that? uh, Is that is it fisheye? Is that what they call it when it kind of looks all distorted near the near the edges or? Yeah, it's going to have that rounding effect at the end. Yeah, Yeah, it was it wasn't too bad, so. Yeah, so that that camera doesn't have the fisheye. I'm assuming your camera might have the option of using yours, mm-hmm. but that that's kind of why I did it too. And and I've always had nice cameras, but I've got just got so sick of carrying them around that now it's literally just a head camera and my cell phone, and that's how I do everything now. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, let's see. Oh, well, I was, I was going to ask you one more thing. So as far as yep. like, uh, your, your pack and things like that out there, are you, are you like, a are, are you like a gear guy when it comes to that stuff or like, what do you, what do you haul and everything around in, um, either out West or back home? Yeah, total, total gear nut when it comes to all that stuff. Um, last year I was using a, I have a Kafaru frame and I was using their striker pack last year. Um, I didn't love it, so I got rid of it. This year I am using, I had a, I just bought a cargo panel to use just for hauling meat. And I'm going to try out the Sitka Fanatic pack this year. Um, I have a really big pet peeve of noise. And I love the Kupfaru pack. It's bulletproof, but it's such tough material that it's loud and it crink, like when it gets cold, it sounds like a paper bag. So is that what you didn't like about the striker or, or other? Yeah, there, I mean, there was a couple things. Um, the load shelf, I, I know the striker XL came out. Um, the load shelf would put my tree stand like over my head. Mm. By a lot. So that was a total waste to me. I couldn't even use, I mean, you wouldn't even want to use it. The frame is 24 inches the way it is. So it comes up to like my ear and then your stand would be like 12 inches above that or more. Oh, gotcha. It doesn't sit low enough. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a like I'm kind of like a 50-50 guy. I'll carry my stuff in, but if I find a spot to sit on the ground, I'd rather do that. So it's all about like getting through these areas quietly. 
and just having that just kind of like, I don't know, it just defeated a lot of my purposes. And then I realized I was carrying a frame pack around half the time when I didn't need it. I was using a frame pack carrying my stand a half mile when it's just carry your stand. If you shoot a deer, walk back and get your frame pack. So, yeah, totally. I, I, I went back to um, the Kafaru door gunner. I had one and then like I packed like a girl. So then I couldn't carry enough stuff. But then like I, I missed it so much because it's so handy in a tree because it's like slim, you know, and it's a top yep. loader. So when you open it up, the it's not like a horseshoe zipper one where like the front, you got to be sh- careful that everything doesn't flop out, you know, and fall out of the tree. Um this one is, is a top loader, so you can kind of reach in and grab stuff and stuff. So I, I'm I'm going back to that this year for as late as for as long as I can use it until it gets really cold and I gotta you know take take more layers and I'm just gonna go. To, I have I still have that uh, that Kuyu uh, Icon Pro 1850, um, which isn't a ton bigger, but it, it can definitely you know carry more uh, uh, you know layers and mitts and gloves and that kind of stuff and hats and and whatnot. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to slim back down to the minimal thing and um yeah i'm I'm doing you know i'm gonna be doing the the one stick uh you know saddle thing so everything right. fits on there you know what i mean as far as like trim wise and um uh carrying capacity wise and i, I kind of wised up and was able to get some compression straps to work underneath so i can like strap a uh kind of like you know bedroll style you know like an extra jacket yep. or, or something warmer so i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to that trying to run that as much uh as i can this year without resorting to the bigger the bigger pack because I like the size, uh, the care, the the carrying capability of a bigger pack. But just like you said, when you're in a tree, um, it's just, especially with like a waist belt and everything like that. I mean, there's just, there's just a lot of rubbing that goes on number one, but it's just kind of cumbersome, you know, you got, so I don't know, it's It's, the the fun, the fun parts doing all the logistics and playing around and, you know, organizing your man purse basically. So, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I've been doing that. I've been doing that for years. I'm still trying to perfect it. Um, early season for me is honestly just going to be a Sherman pouch. So I have, I had the Sherman on my, um, striker mm-hmm. and I like the pouch so much that I just, I kept it so, and I run it on that cargo panel so I can put okay. like my stand in sticks in between the cargo panel and the frame. If I need to like pack a deer out or I'll actually take the Sherman, put it on the outside or I, I'll hook the Sherman and the stand to the outside of the cargo panel, and then I can put my deer inside the cargo panel. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Having that extra pocket kind of as like a grab, it helps out a ton. Yeah. 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 Especially if you're, uh, if you're not carrying a whole bunch of other extraneous, you know, crap with you kind of thing, which, you know, um, I've, I've tried to do that. You know, it's like that same theory where, you know, if you put a gold, like no matter if you put a goldfish into whatever tank it is, it's going to grow to the size of the tank kind of thing. You put it in a, if you put it in a small bowl, it'll fill the bowl. And then you put it in a bigger bowl and it'll grow proportionally. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think if you try to limit yourself to something small, then you can only grow with, you can only put so much crap in there and then that's it. And then you're not, you're not uh, likely to take more, more stuff uh, more stuff with you. At least that's the theory. I've never been able to actually make it stick to it, but <laughs> yeah, I'm trying that Sherman for that exact same thing. That a hundred percent, that exact same reason I was carrying that frame pack around or a bigger pack, just hauling useless crap. And I'm just like half the time, like I, I'm a very active hunter. So when I come most of the time, if I'm not on hot sign, I'll just speed scout. And even mm-hmm. if it gets into the night, I'm just, I, I'll never set up and I'll just make my way back. It's either like I cross off the area or I have to figure out how to hunt it better. 
So half the time I'm just lugging all this stuff around for absolutely no reason for like an hour sit at night. So it's just streamlining that, just carry, carrying the essentials, maybe yeah. like a warm jacket, and then just dealing with it for the, the, the duration of the night. Yeah, yeah. Okay, man. So, uh, yeah, we're hour and 20 into it here. So anything else you wanted to touch on before, before I let you go tonight? Or No, I think I am all set. Yeah, well, I appreciate you doing this. Um, it worked out great because you're your central time like me so it wasn't too crazy late so uh yep. that's always that's always a struggle so uh why don't you tell everybody where they can watch all your stuff and and look at all your stuff yeah it's just youtube is going to be under my name and then instagram is going to be under my name um it's kind of hard to spell but the last name is a little funny but yeah it's just t-r-e-y last name is a-r-e-n-t-z um, I'm not overly active on Facebook. I just kind of use Facebook for every, every once in a while. I'll put videos out, but I use it more just like uh, group hopping, figuring out information, that type of stuff, and then um, for my business. So Instagram is definitely where I'm way more active, and then every once in a while I'll put a YouTube video out or something. Well, cool. Everybody, go check out Trey. Go check out all his stuff um, and uh, make sure to, to give him a follow. Uh, if you guys uh, like this like this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. And uh, I think with that, Trey, thanks for, uh, thanks for hopping on. Why don't you stay with me here while we stop recording? And uh, thank you, everybody, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you, sir.